Hello and welcome back to our insightful journey into the world of psychological and social dynamics. It's great to have you with us as we decode another compelling topic. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're delving into an incredibly complex yet fascinating subject, family structure, gender, and subjective well-being, effect of children before and after COVID-19 in Japan, a study that explores the intricate ties of family dynamics and how a global pandemic has influenced them. To give you a bit of context as to why this paper is so significant in its field, Japan faces a unique set of challenges, ones that bring the concepts of family structure, gender roles, and well-being into sharp focus, particularly in the context of child rearing. Key constructs here include subjective well-being, or SWB, which refers to how people experience and evaluate their lives and specific domains or activities in their lives, and family structure, which encompasses the makeup of a family unit, including parents, children, and grandparents. That's right, Jen. And before we continue, I just want to clear up some potentially complex vocabulary. When we talk about subjective well-being, we're essentially talking about the overall happiness and life satisfaction of individuals. Absolutely, Tom. The core of this paper lies in its detailed objectives to understand the effects of family structure, including the effects of having children or grandchildren on the subjective well-being of parents and grandparents in Japan. But more intriguingly, it compares these effects before and after the onslaught of the COVID-19 crisis. The methodology is stringent, employing individual-level panel data over a period of seven years, from 2016 to 2023, this study methodically observes shifting family dynamics and utilizes a fixed effect regression analysis to distill their findings. Speaking of findings, Tom, they're quite eye-opening. Amongst many, they've discovered that granddaughters notably increased grandmother's subjective well-being after COVID-19, whereas neither daughters nor sons appeared to have affected their mother's happiness. Quite a revelation, Jen, and the implications they're extensive. This study could potentially guide policymakers in Japan to recognize the evolving roles within families and the differential impact of upbringing practices across genders, especially considering Japan's declining birth rate and changing labor market dynamics post-COVID-19. And on reflection, this paper sheds a unique light on the broader relevance of gender dynamics and changes wrought by unexpected global events on family structures. The insights on grandparental well-being provide depth to our understanding of intergenerational relationships. Conclusively, Jen, this paper underscores that the presence of younger brothers play a part in mitigating negative effects on fathers' well-being, suggesting larger societal dialogues about shared responsibility in childcare and familial bonds that transcend traditional roles. Individuals, families, and government bodies alike can draw much from these findings. While intangible at times, happiness and satisfaction within the family unit undeniably contribute to social stability and even economic sustainability. Well said, Jen. And as we wrap up today's episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts on how modern challenges impact family roles and well-being in your part of the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have you again on our next deep dive into the human psyche and the intricate social fabrics that bind us. Stay curious, stay informed, and most importantly, stay well. This is Jen. And Tom signing off.
Have you ever felt the pangs of parenthood pulling down your smile into a frown? Or the shrieks of your sweet grandchildren that once sounded like music now sound more like a heavy metal concert at 5 a.m.? Fear not, fellow families. Introducing the latest sensation sweeping the nation, Grin and Barrett, the Grand Parental Joy Booster. Grin and Barrett is your go-to solution, sprouting from the groundbreaking research on family well-being in Japan post-COVID-19. We know that granddaughters are bringing joy to grandmothers. So what do we do? We rent them out. That's right. Now you can have a granddaughter for a day or even a weekend to boost your happy hormones. And for the dads out there feeling the blues after quality time turned into quantity time with their kiddos, we didn't forget you. Grin and Barrett also provides bro time sessions where fathers can learn fun and heartwarming activities to bond with their sons without going bonkers. It's weird, it's wacky, but guess what? It works. So if you want to turn that family frown upside down, give Grin and Barrett a try. Call now, and we'll even throw in a happiness handbook tailored to grandpas and mamas feeling the pinch of parental pressure. Grin and Barrett, because sometimes all you need is a little nudge back into the happy zone. Grin and Barrett, the joy's inherent. Call 1-800-GRIN-JOY today. Limited time offer. Terms and conditions may apply. Grandparental joy not guaranteed without actual love and cookies. Welcome to another episode of our award-winning podcast, where today we're diving into a rather compelling topic that intertwines finance, mathematics, and even a bit of psychology. That's right, Tom. And the paper we're unraveling today is none other than Partial Information Breeds Systemic Risk by Yujui Huang and Li Xian Sun, a tantalizing piece that explores the murky waters of financial stability and systemic risk. Ah, systemic risk. When most of us think of systemic risk, we often think of a domino effect, financial institutions falling one after another. But Jen, Huang, and Sun's paper points to another subtle yet potent source of systemic risk, partial information. Interestingly enough, yes. The term partial information here refers to investors not having complete knowledge about the, the dynamics of the asset they're investing in. This is more common than most realize. Investors often don't know the precise dynamics, but attempt to infer them from observed price movements. It's like trying to predict the weather by only looking at the clouds. It can give you an idea, but it's certainly not foolproof. This limitation in information can lead to investors making suboptimal decisions. And when these decisions are made en masse, we start to see the potential for systemic risk. Huang and Sun approach this from a mean variance portfolio selection perspective. They come from the angle that investors are not just interested in their own terminal wealth, but also how it compares to the terminal wealth of others, which is the mean field. That's what we call keeping up with the Joneses in the financial world. This relative performance criterion means that investors are partly playing their own game and partly playing against the average performance of their peers. You've got it. And that's where things get complex because each investor's strategy isn't just affecting their own outcomes. It's subtly but significantly influencing the mean field, which in turn affects others' strategies. It's a cyclical interconnected web Let's break down the fancy terms used in the paper. The term mean variance portfolio selection is just a way to describe the balance an investor tries to reach between their expected returns and the risk they're willing to take. 
measured by the variability of those returns. And by equilibrium intrapersonally, they're talking about an investor finding a strategy that they're not only happy with at the moment, but one that they'll remain content with over time. So basically, a strategy that stands the test of time, even as their future selves might second-guess their decisions. Now, on to their methodology. Huang and Sun look for what's called a Nash equilibrium in the world of partial information, as opposed to full information, where investors know exactly how stock prices will move. To achieve this Nash equilibrium, they had to dive deep into the realms of mathematical modeling and filtering theory. It sounds complicated, but think of it like trying to eavesdrop on a really staticky phone call. You're trying to filter out the noise to understand the conversation. Except instead of eavesdropping on gossip, these investors are trying to filter out market noise to understand the true state of stock returns, which can fluctuate between different values without the investor's knowledge. Their findings are fascinating. Partial information doesn't just curb wealth. It can cause or exacerbate systemic risk. It means that not having the full picture can lead investors to make decisions that might seem okay individually, but collectively have the potential to create significant financial instability. And what's truly interesting is how the researchers found two distinct ways systemic risk manifests, depending on whether the expected stock return was constant or whether it fluctuated between two states, like a company's stock after a crucial innovation, or during shifts between bull and bear markets. Right? In the constant scenario, it's the oscillation, the wild swings of the posterior probability that leads to major systemic risk. In other words, the investors' zigzagging beliefs about the stock's expected return cause dramatic variations in portfolio strategies. But when the stock's expected return is flipping back and forth, like in the alternating scenario, it's the persistent deviation from ideal trading driven by the investor's best guess that's the culprit behind systemic risk. This study isn't just academic saber-rattling. It has real-world implications, highlighting the perils of incomplete information in the investment world. It's a nod to the idea that sometimes what you don't know can hurt you, or in this case, the entire financial system. Well put, Jen. And as we wrap up, it's essential to recognize the broader relevance of Huang and Sun's work. It adds a new layer to our understanding of systemic risk, underlining the importance of having as complete a picture as possible when making investment decisions. We hope you enjoyed this in-depth look at Partial Information Breeds Systemic Risk. Make sure to tune in next time for more intricate dissections of cutting-edge financial research. Until then, I'm Jen. And I'm Tom. Keep those investments informed and portfolios balanced. Folks, have you ever found yourself investing in the stock market, feeling like you're trying to read a book in the dark? Then you need Lumo Stocks, the company born from the partial information breed systemic risk breakthrough. We light up the stock market's darkest corners with our patented InfoBeacon technology. No more guessing games about stock dynamics or squinting at confusing charts. Lumo Stock's state-of-the-art algorithms give you a luminous path to investment clarity. And for those moments if you feel like you're on a financial roller coaster, our Stabilo Band wristband vibrates gently to remind you, don't make trades based on those queasy feelings. Worried about systemic risk? Our exclusive Mean Field Shield is like an umbrella for your assets 
protecting your portfolio when those financial storm clouds roll in. So don't be left in the dark. Illuminate your finances with Lumo stocks. Because when you're enlightened, the sky's the limit. Call 1-800-LUMO-NOW and say goodbye to investment FOMO. That's Lumo stocks. It's lit, literally. Terms and conditions apply. Lumo stocks is not responsible for burnt fingers from hot stock tips. Keep investments luminous and diversified. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of our award-winning podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're diving into a highly intriguing and complex topic. That's right, Jen. We're exploring simulation of a Livy process, its extremum, and hitting time of the extremum via characteristic functions. We know it sounds a bit intimidating, especially if you're not familiar with the world of stochastic processes and mathematical finance. But don't worry, we're here to break it down for you in an informative, entertaining, and very detailed way. So, let's get into it. Before we dissect the paper, let's provide some contextual background. Levy processes are a class of stochastic processes with a myriad of applications in fields like mathematical finance, insurance mathematics, and physics. The significance of this paper lies in its contribution to the simulation techniques of Levy processes, which are crucial for understanding risk and pricing complex financial derivatives. Now onto some key concepts and background. To understand Levy processes, we need to grasp the idea of a stochastic process, which is basically the mathematical way of representing a system that evolves with randomness over time. Exactly, Jen. A Levy process, then, is a particular type of stochastic process with stationary, independent increments, which means how the process moves in any time interval depends solely on the length of the interval, not where it starts. In this paper, the authors focus on simulating the Levy process, its maximum value over a time horizon, called the extremum, and the moment it hits this maximum, known as the hitting time of the extremum. These elements are essential for pricing things like barrier options in finance. To do all this, the paper turns to something called characteristic functions, which are a kind of fingerprint for probability distributions. The authors use these to innovate on existing simulation methods, making them faster and more accurate. With that context set, let's move to the core of our episode and discuss the research paper's objectives and methodology in detail. Have you ever been kept awake at night by the erratic movements of stochastic processes? Or maybe you found yourself lost in the turbulent sea of financial derivatives, trying to catch the wave of the perfect extremum. Worry no more, introducing Jen and Tom together, Levy's Levity Simulations, where probability distributions get the party started. At Levy's Levity, we turn the complex into the comical with our cutting-edge simulation software. Watch as our digital Levy process does the conga line across your screen, hitting its extremum with a disco ball drop, boogie sound effect. And with our characteristic function funhouse, you'll navigate the mirror maze of probability with ease and a funky beat. Did we mention our sensational Hitting Time Heroes game? Race against the clock in a side-scrolling adventure to beat the extremum, armed with just your wits and a handful of characteristic functions. So if you're looking for high-stakes fun with a side of financial insight, it's time to get down with Levy's Levity Simulations. Don't get bogged down by the tedium of tails and quantiles. Put some pizzazz in your process. And remember, in the stochastic world, always bet on levity 
Jen and Tom together, Levy's Levity Simulations, where finance meets fun in an unexpected sum. Welcome back to our award-winning podcast. Today, Jen and I will be diving deep into some complex financial concepts, so buckle up for a thrilling ride. That's right, Tom. We'll be unraveling the mysteries behind alternative models for FX, arbitrage opportunities, and efficient pricing of double-barrier options in Levy models, a research paper by Svetlana Boyarchenko and Sergei Lewandowski. Now, before we dive in, let's give some context. This paper is a significant contribution to the field of quantitative finance, particularly in the areas of foreign exchange, FX markets, and options pricing. Absolutely, Tom. To understand the significance of this research, we must first grasp some key concepts and background, like the Heston model, Levy processes, and barrier options. The Heston model is widely used for option pricing and takes into account the volatility of the underlying asset, which can vary over time. Now, when we introduce Levy processes into the mix, which are mathematical representations of a type of stochastic process with jumps, we open up a new universe for modeling asset behavior with more complexity than standard Brownian motion or geometric Brownian motion. Right, Jen. And barrier options. These are exotic options with payoff conditions that depend on whether the underlying asset's price reaches a specified level or barrier during a certain period. In simple terms, we're looking at financial instruments that pay out based on whether an asset stays within or goes beyond certain price boundaries until the option's expiration. Thanks for that breakdown, Jen. Now, let's get to the core of this research paper. The paper's objective is to analyze the price differences of double-barrier, no-touch options under two models, the Heston model, which includes a diffusion component, and the pure-jump COBOL model. And the methodology employed here is quite complex. They've used advanced mathematical techniques, including Fourier and Laplace transforms, to calculate option prices. What they've found, Tom, is that prices in the pure-jump model can significantly differ from those in the Heston model, indicating potential arbitrage opportunities if the market uses the latter. Exactly, Jen. In terms of implications, this research suggests that if the market is inaccurately pricing these options using diffusion models like Heston's, savvy traders could exploit this for profit. Closing this rich discussion, let's recap the main points. The paper presents an innovative efficient method, coined the GWR CNH method, for pricing double barrier options in jump models. And our personal reflection, the work of Boyarchenko and Lewandowski offers insightful perspectives on market inefficiencies and the sophistication required in modern financial modeling. Tune in next time as we continue to dissect groundbreaking financial research and its broader implications. Thanks for listening. Are you tired of the same old options pricing models, leaving your portfolio as volatile as my aunt's mood at Thanksgiving? Fear no more, financial adventurers. Introducing Barrier Busters, the revolutionary service born from the genius paper on FX and double barrier options in Levy models. With Barrier Busters, you'll get exclusive access to the groundbreaking GWR Cinch method. Say goodbye to mundane models and hello to hyper-efficient pricing powered by pure jumps, not pure guesswork. Our super smart algorithms will help you sniff out arbitrage opportunities like a truffle pig in a French forest giving you the edge 
to potentially profit from market inefficiencies. Have no fear if terms like Wienerhop factorization make your brain hurt. Our user-friendly interface is as easy to use as a toaster. Just plug in the numbers and watch the magic happen. So if you want to leap over financial barriers with the grace of an Olympic hurdler, come join us at Barrier Busters. Where the only thing that's not an option is failure. Barrier Busters, your trade's new best friend. Astute pricing, astronomical possibilities. Disclaimer, Barrier Busters is not responsible for any lost sanity while trying to understand Levy processes. Please invest responsibly and maybe don't mention this to your aunt at Thanksgiving. Welcome back to our deep dive series on supply chain management. Today's episode is a real treat, especially for our listeners interested in inventory systems, retailer cooperation, and data sharing. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're looking at something pretty technical, but incredibly relevant in the world of complex inventory systems. It's a study called the cost function of a two-level inventory system with identical retailers benefiting from information sharing. Right, Jen. This paper is a significant piece for anyone in the field trying to understand how retailers working in tandem with a central warehouse can really benefit from sharing information. It's not just about cutting down on individual costs, but optimizing the whole supply chain. Exactly, Tom. The paper talks about a continuous review RQ policy for retailers, a standard inventory model with a reorder point R and a fixed order quantity Q. Retailers trigger the system at certain stock levels, and the central warehouse also steps in to order batches when needed based on shared retailer inventory data. But how does it all come together? The paper we're discussing today has a robust mathematical model behind it that looks at the exact cost function for this kind of setup. And they had to crunch some serious numbers to derive it. They explored the assumptions of constant delivery times and Poisson customer demand, which is a way of modeling random events like customer purchases mathematically. They also looked at the cost implications. Costs were characterized as holding costs, the expense of keeping inventory on hand and shortage costs, the cost associated with not meeting demand. From a more technical standpoint, they worked on crafting an exact cost function, ideally to replace an approximate one suggested in an earlier study. This is big not just for academia, but for practical use in real-world systems. The implications are huge, especially when it comes to potential cost savings and more effective inventory management. It's about finding that sweet spot in managing inventory in a way that meets customer demand without overstocking. It could revolutionize how inventory is managed at the retailer level, especially for those managing identical or similar products. By perfecting a two-level inventory system's cost function, businesses can optimize, and that has a ripple effect. Absolutely. After all, a more efficient system leads to cost savings, which could then be passed on to consumers or reinvested into the business. Plus, reducing inventory hulls frees up capital. Now, let's get into the intricate workings of that model. It might be math-heavy, but it underscores the importance of precise models in achieving cost efficiency. A major takeaway here is understanding the value of shared information. Now, this isn't exactly a simple plug-and-play formula. It's quite complex and requires understanding customer demand, not just for one retailer, but for a network of them. 
The study suggests that retailers coordinate with a central warehouse, adjusting their reorder levels and quantities based on wider demand trends. Big data, analytics, all that good stuff comes into play. But Jen, here's the kicker. They split the system into simpler states by conditioning. That's an analytical technique that breaks down a complex problem into more manageable chunks. That's right, Tom. They then derive the cost function for each state separately. The final model allows them to determine the most cost-effective policy for the retailer warehouse system. In conclusion, our deep dive today explores a complex model that has far-reaching implications for inventory management and supply chain dynamics. Despite its complexity, the potential benefits for operational costs make it worthwhile. As always, though, with any theoretical model, the challenge lies in the implementation. How businesses adjust their practices to make the most of this model remains to be seen. We've now painted a broad picture of what this research paper explored, but we encourage our listeners who have a penchant for numbers and models to read the study in full. And remember, this isn't just an exercise in academics. It's a valuable insight for practical supply chain management that could lead to real-world savings and efficiencies. Thanks for joining us on this inventory adventure. As complex as these topics can be, Jen and I hope we've shed some light on why they're so crucial for the business, especially in our data-driven world. Absolutely, Tom. Until next time, keep an eye on those stock levels and don't let the bullwhip effect crack you on the backside. In a world of chaos where inventory levels fluctuate like a yo-yo on a caffeine buzz, where retailers cower in fear of the dreaded bullwhip effect, there's hope. Introducing InfoShare Warehouse Wonders. The first company born out of a research paper so smart it makes Einstein's hair look tame. Our warehouses don't just store your stuff. They practically talk to your retailers. Hey, retailer, looks like you're low on fuzzy slippers. Our patented information sharing system means you'll never overstock tumbleweeds or run out of whoopee cushions before April Fool's again. Our secret, math. Not just any math, but math. Magical, aggregating terrific hybrids of numbers and letters woven into a cloak of inventory invincibility. So if you want to know more about how a two-level inventory system can change your life and save the universe from poor stocking decisions, call InfoShare Warehouse Wonders now and remember, it's not just storage, it's a crystal ball into your inventory future. Tom and Jen, InfoShare Warehouse Wonders, where sharing isn't just caring, it's saving your butt financially. Call 1-800-STOCK-PRO. That's 1-800-STOCK-PRO. Disclaimer, no fuzzy slippers or whoopee cushions were harmed in the making of this commercial.